Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're into extra time. Hello and welcome along. I'm Barry Guy. We're four rounds into Nepal's new domestic competition, so is it producing what Nepal New Zealand was hoping for? Meanwhile, the Australian equivalent is having a few issues off the court with players threatening strike action. The Lions squad to tour New Zealand was named this week, and while some have said it's their best ever, will it be good enough to beat the All Blacks? And in an emotional ceremony, Sir Peter Snell gifts special memorabilia to Tapapa and now turns his attention to the World Masters Games. There were some nerves when New Zealand and Australia decided to part ways last year and end the nine-year Trans-Tasman netball competition. Was there enough talent in New Zealand to sustain a standalone six-team competition? And would the quality of netball be as strong? We're four rounds into the competition and joining me now is RNZ's netball reporter Bridget Tunnicliffe. And Bridget, do you like what you see? Yeah, I like the game that we've been seeing here. A lot of people talked about how New Zealand teams would be able to really embrace the Kiwi style again. And I've actually been quite surprised about how quickly that's happened. It's almost as if the the last nine years of trans-Tasman competitions sort of never happened because um, they've just gone straight back to the Kiwi style. Um, I do think Netball New Zealand will be a bit disappointed by the crowd numbers to some of the games, which is a shame because, because I think the Netball has actually been really entertaining. Um barring maybe that steel versus tactics game this week where the tactics got a complete hiding. But yeah, other, other than that, I think it's actually an easier watch, uh, especially for people who might not be huge netball fans. I suspect that there is less whistle this year. Some of the games we used to see with the Australian teams involved, because of that one-on-one suffocating defence, the umpires were having to blow the whistle constantly and there's stop start stop start um so my sense is that the games we're seeing here are just a bit easier to watch with less whistle um and also because of the new zealand defense style which is the zone space marking style the attackers have a, a little bit more space and so it's really brought the wing attacks to the fore we've seen the wing attacks sometimes releasing the ball to the shooters from about um, halfway down the court and so the pinpoint accuracy has been impressive and we've seen a huge range of passes as well and yes sometimes it doesn't come off because the defenders waiting in the wings and they come through a, with a stunning intercept but it's a clean intercept it's not as a result of the constant niggle and harassment so yeah I think um, put it this way I think the style is less annoying to watch for those people who who aren't huge netball fans. And we've seen the emergence of some young players, haven't we? Yeah, um, yeah. so it's, it's allowed um, some of the younger players to get more court time than in past years. I like, I sort of like it that they've cut it from 12 to 10 players because they're getting out on court and they're probably getting opportunities earlier than what they would have. Um, just some examples, you've got Waitamanu's daughter, Tiana Maturo. She's just 16 years old. She's just going to have a fantastic career. Monica Faulkner at The Magic, she's done really well in her first year. Ariana Cable-Dixon, a late ring into The Magic. I've been really impressed with her too. And there's uh, Abby Irwood at The Steel. She looks like she's going to be a great defender as well. So which teams are emerging as contenders this year? 
Well, the steel, obviously, picking up from last year, they are looking extremely strong. They will be pretty hard to stop. I also like the way the Magic and the Mystics are playing. Uh, with Bailey Mears returning to the Mystics, joining Maria Tutayer in the goal circle, you've got the Silver Fern shooting pair. Um, and that attacking end is looking really good. Young Alessa Peter Tuiava at wing attack, she's been really great. The way she is feeding the ball to her shooters is, just looks so spot on. Uh, the Magic 2 with former Silver Ferns great Margaret Forsyth, she's coaching that side now, and you can really see her footprint on that attacking end. Um, that, that New Zealand style is really coming to the fore at the Magic um, I have been a bit um, surprised that the Northern Stars franchise, this is a new franchise, hasn't done that well, given the players I've recruited. But it just goes to show that it, you know it's all about combinations. and Half the battle is really how well you gel together on court. There is drama aplenty coming out of Australian netball right now, off the netball court. Netball Australia is in political turmoil as member states fight for more power at the board level. Bridget, um, can you explain what the catalyst has been? Yeah, what it boils down to basically is the member associations, the, the states in Australia who have been running their games inside their boundaries for years, they're unhappy about the way the new super netball competition has unfolded over there. So they've gone to from five to eight teams. And these three new franchises, they've got pretty deep pockets. The Sunshine Coast Lightning, they, they are part-owned by the NRL club Melbourne Storm. You've got the Giants, that, that's a team uh, who are backed by popular AFL club Greater Western Sydney. Then you've got the Magpies, and they are backed by AFL juggernaut Collingwood. So how are those new teams going? Well, we're at the, they're at the half-point way of the Super Nibble competition over there. Those three new clubs are sitting in the top four. And so I think the member states feel like those new franchises have sort of hijacked the competition a bit. Um, but to be fair, every team has to operate under the same salary cap. So it's not like they're offering players half-million-dollar contracts or anything. But I just think it's kind of the world-class facilities and resources that these AFL, NRL-backed clubs can offer, which maybe has given them a bit of a recruitment advantage, and that rankles with those state associations. It's understood that Queensland and New South Wales are driving this as a way to gain board control and return influence to the states. In a, a special general meeting called by the member associations last week, the board chair of Netball Australia was dumped. And today at their AGM, former national captain Catherine Harvey-Williams, who's a big advocate for the players, failed in her bid for re-election to the board. Now, super Netball players earlier this week said they would consider industrial action if Harvey-Williams didn't retain her position. The Australian Netball Players Association have canvassed the idea of striking from super Netball games, making themselves unavailable for Diamonds duty and forming a rebel competition. So it's, it's all got very messy and it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Many thanks to Bridget Tunnicliffe, our netball reporter, and this is Extra Time. The British and Irish Lions are about to embark on the toughest tour in rugby history, says former All Blacks and Lions coach Sir Graham Henry. Lions coach the New Zealander Warren Gatland announced a 41-strong squad for the 10-match tour, which includes three tests against the All Blacks, games against all five Super Rugby sides, and a match against the Māori All Blacks. Sports editor Stephen Hewson reports. And New Zealand have done it. They've won the World Cup again. And all those times where it's gone wrong in the quarters and the semis count for nothing. Sir Graham Henry's enjoyed plenty of highs and lows as an international coach. 
So when he says the Lions tour here in June and July will be the toughest in the history of the sport, perhaps we should listen. Sir Graham, a World Cup winning coach, guided the All Blacks to victory against the Lions in 2005, having four years earlier coached the Lions in a series loss to Australia. I think it's the most difficult tour in the history of the game. They're playing the five franchise sides who are, who are probably the best teams in the super competition and three tests in New Zealand Māori. Um, that's a, hu- a huge undertaking. There's been a lot of criticism in Britain that there are 12 Welsh players in the squad and only two Scots, even though Scotland finished higher in the Six Nations Championship. One of the most notable absentees is England's New Zealand-born captain Dylan Hartley who's missed the cut despite leading England to successive Six Nations titles. Hartley has a reputation as a fiery, abrasive and ill-disciplined player, but since taking over the England captaincy, he's tempered that attitude, which former Lions hooker and Ireland captain Keith Wood believes has affected his play. He's a guy who is abrasive, naturally abrasive, and in the last year and a half or two years, he's had to tone that down an awful lot. And I think it's actually been great because he stayed on the field for the vast majority and he's managed to lead very well. But it seems to have taken some of that abrasiveness that made him such a fine player away from him. And I don't think he's hitting the standards that he was in the past. The All Blacks coach Steve Hansen says he'd have picked Hartley, but he isn't surprised by the squad Gatlin has gone with and he isn't anticipating an expansive, free-flowing style of play from the tourists. I think they'll tell us they will, but uh, I think they'll try and beat us up first. Well, it's pretty much what you'd expect from Warren. He he likes his big ball carriers in the middle of the park and his big grunty forward, so that's what he's picked. And I think this is the best British Lions and Irish team that um, we've seen come here for a long, long time. Uh, you know, there's depth all the way through. That's why people like Hartley and some of the Scottish boys have missed out. The last tour of New Zealand in 2005 was a public relations disaster for the Lions, with coach Sir Clive Woodward shutting off public access to the team. He employed British Prime Minister Tony Blair's former spin doctor, Alistair Campbell, which England halfback Matt Dawson says didn't go down well with the players. Got hold of Alistair Campbell's phone and we phoned Tony Did Blair. Did you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we sent him all those, you know, I love you, uh, I think you're amazing, right. you'd love it out here, you know, all of that stuff. Oh, we went bonkers. The former Lions player Martin Williams doubts under Warren Gatland and captain Sam Warburton there'll be similar problems. Sam will not give the All Blacks or New Zealand or the public any anything to chew on, anything to bite on, any, any team talks probably at the Test matches, he'll say all the right things and all the right... And, in the right manner, so in many ways, that's why he is the perfect captain for this tour. The British and Irish Lions begin their tour with a match against the provincial barbarian side in Whangarei on June the 3rd. The All Black squad for the three tests against the Lions will be named the following week. Stephen Hewson with that report, and this is Extra Time. Athletics legend Sir Peter Snell was the centre of attention at Topapa this week as he handed over memorabilia from his personal collection. The donation included two Olympic gold medals, those from the 800 metres in the 1960 Rome Olympics, and one of the two medals won by Snell at the 64 Tokyo Games. Also gifted was a shoe Sir Peter wore when winning in Rome. 78-year-old Snell, who moved to the United States almost 50 years ago, told John Campbell he was overwhelmed by the occasion. What a wonderful job T. Barber has done, not only in, uh, in displaying this stuff so tastefully, uh, but this ceremony was just uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, I am going to take this to my grave, I'm sure. Uh, I wonder if you understood 
how loved and admired you are in this country. I wonder if you are just coming to grips with that now. Well, I, I have felt that uh, a bit in the past, but this is, uh, has been uh, way more... This actually, I had to get the tissue out uh, <laughs> in order to get through this experience. So, yes, I, I actually do feel that. Uh, and that's what, why I feel so good about uh, T. Papa having uh, this memorabilia. It's really a perfect fit. Uh, it makes me feel good about trying to return uh, uh, how New Zealanders have uh, uh, expressed their feelings about me and what I've done and uh, vice versa. The wonderful thing is that many of the youngsters, all of the youngsters who were there today, in fact, anyone who isn't middle-aged, basically, wasn't born when you won in Tokyo, when you won in Rome. And yet they know it's part of uh, their sense of New Zealand history. And the kids from your old school, Mount Albert Grammar, looking so proud, so sparkly-eyed. That must be magic, that stuff. Yes, it is, and uh, I think we have to thank uh, YouTube for for <laughs> a lot of this highlight stuff, which is, has has kept the uh, kept things alive. And so, uh, I think I owe my uh, recognition to uh, Google. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, nothing wrong with that. I, I I have to say I've been watching on YouTube. And I'd forgotten that kick you had at the end. Boy, you had a formidable finish, didn't you? Yeah, well, when you're cruising towards the end, it's possible to, uh, to get that extra gear or two. And uh, that's, that's what the, the endurance training was all about, to be able to cruise while the others were struggling a bit. And so... So part of it was that I looked as though I was running faster, and it probably was a little, but the others were also starting to die. Yeah, they were. Your finishes were quite remarkable. You were still pulling away in the 1500 when you won gold. I mean, the distance yeah. between you and yeah. second place was daylight, yeah. effectively. Do you remember the races? Yeah, I, I very clearly, and especially the, uh, the Rome one. Uh, well, and also the Tokyo ones as well. Uh, but um, I did learn after Rome the power of being able to make a dramatic move on the psychological effect it had on your opposition. George Kerr did that to me in Napier, and I remember I gave up when he came by so fast, and then I nearly caught him uh, at the tape. And I thought, darn it, if I hadn't have uh, sort of tossed it in, that wouldn't have happened. And so I've always tried to do that to others with that in mind. Can you tell me of the wonderful treasures that Te Papa now has that you have given them, is there one that is particularly special to you? I mean, obviously there's the gold medals, but is there one that really stands out? Yeah, well, well that's, that's it. They, they did select other things that, to me, are not as significant, but to them, they tell the story. For example, uh, I mean, it's the medal. It's specifically the Rome medal. It's the biggie. Because uh, that was such a surprise that launched me as a, an international class athlete 
uh, it changed my life. The Tokyo medals were more a confirmation of what uh, I demonstrated that I could do, and that was sort of a satisfying. That was satisfying, but the Rome medal, that was the first, that was the big one, and that's the most treasured. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Because uh, you went to Tokyo so overwhelmingly the favourite. You were running the fastest times in the world. You were way better uh, in terms of times than anyone else in the field. But in Rome, you totally were a surprise package. Absolutely. Yeah, in fact, uh, there were some commentators thought that the first round heat was a sham because uh, the, uh, there were only four of us in it. The other three were world-ranked runners. And so why even bother have the race? 57 years ago. And now you've come home and your medals yeah. have come home. It's magic, isn't it? It is. Well, that's, uh, that's how T. Papa have promoted it. Medal-winning magic. <laughs> nice. It has a nice ring to it. <laughs> so Peter Snell talking to John Campbell. They were once masters of the universe, but now they're simply masters. Snell, marathon runner Alison Rowe and surf life-saving Ironman Corey Hutchings are among nearly 25,000 athletes competing in the World Masters Games in Auckland over the next 10 days. While all those competing may be past their prime, the competitive fire burns, as Sally Murphy reports. Now New Zealand is trying to overtake Sir Peter Snell won gold medals at both the 1960 Rome Olympics and Tokyo four years later, and he's chasing more medals this weekend, not on the track, but in table tennis. Well, the main thing is that's, that's all I can do now. It's sad to say. Uh, I have a heart that doesn't work very well. It's been like this for four years, and so I get breathless pretty easily. But, uh, but I can manage table tennis and I can manage golf as long as I... I have a cart to ride in between shots. Snell, who is 78, says he's feeling confident ahead of the competition. So you take a step to the left, a step to the right, forwards or backwards, and uh, and as long as the rallies are not too long, and, and against my age-related peers, they usually aren't, I can, uh, I can do reasonably well. Alison Rowe of New Zealand added New York City to a Boston marathon win in April. In 1981, Alison Rowe won both the Boston and New York marathons, but at the Masters, she'll be on her mountain bike. Oh, I'm certainly not taking it as reliving any glory days. I'm just hoping to stay on my bike, to be honest. If I can stay on and get to the finish, I'll be really happy. But, I mean, I think we'll all give it a good go because a lot of us, well, not everybody that's doing the Masters Games has been a competitive athlete in the past, but those of us who have been will obviously want to give it a bit of a push along. She says the Masters Games are all about trying a new sport, even if you're not the best at it. Other former top athletes taking part include Brian Williams, who will compete in golf and lawn bowls, and Olympic swimming silver medalist Anthony Moss. There's also a badminton pair from the US who have competed in every Masters game since they began in 1985, and a 101-year-old woman from India who is competing in the 100 and 200 metres shot put and javelin. Games ambassador, surf life-saving Ironman Corey Hutchins says the Games also give former top-flight athletes a chance to relive their glory days. I probably haven't done any races for the last sort of 10 or 15 years, and it's just been a good opportunity to actually get back into the sport a bit and actually try and get a bit of fitness back. 
Um, so I've kind of enjoyed that challenge more than anything without, the, I guess, the pressures of what it used to be, which was, you know, the elite side of, of the competition. But while athletes may be past their prime, that doesn't mean they won't be tested for performance-enhancing drugs. Many medications for health conditions can boost performance or act as a masking agent and are illegal in a competitive environment. However, Drug-Free Sport New Zealand Chief Executive Graham Steele, who will also be taking part, is urging athletes not to stop taking their medications. Probably more of these athletes than you would normally expect at a major games will need to use medication for their health and they should um, continue to use that, but they should also realise that there are rules that relate to what they can and can't use. Graham Steele says if an athlete does test positive, they will sort out the ramifications after the event. Sally Murphy with that report, and that's extra time for this week. Keep in touch with us via Twitter, at RNZ Sport. I'm Barry Guy. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.